step on up, sit down, twist off that bottle top, or crack open that can. And welcome to Porch Matters. This is Terry Cagle coming to you from my back porch. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. The name of this show is Authentic. On Porch Matters, our saying is this. Big issues or just a friendly conversation. No topic is off limits. We take pride in being able to talk about anything with each other in an open discussion. Open discussion is one of the only ways to learn. Your perspective could be changed. You could change the perspective of others. Friends and family, welcome to another episode of Porch Matters. I'm glad you're here. I hope you've had a great couple of weeks since the last episode. Yesterday, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the new protective stadium in Birmingham to watch the UAB Blazers take on the Rice Owls. It was a very good game, very heartbreaking at the end, but congratulations to the Rice Owls for a good game, and as well as the UAB Blazers. Protective Stadium is a very nice stadium, and it was also announced that UAB will be joining the American Athletic Conference, so congratulations to the UAB Blazers. Congratulations also to my beloved Alabama Crimson Tide who beat the Tennessee Volunteers yesterday. I hope all my fellow Bama fans enjoyed their cigars last night. Tennessee fans, hold your head up high. Your program is definitely headed in the right direction. One thing I did not enjoy Saturday was the car I was driving being hit by someone who was either drunk or texting while driving and then them stomping on the gas and leaving the scene of an accident. Yep, that happened. Luckily, everyone in the car with me was okay. Luckily, the car is still drivable. Public service announcement, folks. Be smart if you're behind the wheel. Moving on. Halloween will come and go before I have the chance to talk to you again. Halloween is my second favorite holiday. I hope everyone has a great holiday weekend full of candy, horror movies, and fun. If you haven't seen Halloween Kills yet, I strongly suggest it. I sat and watched it. Very good movie. At least I thought it was. Some people think it's trash. Hello, Tammy. I'm talking about you. (laughs) But I thought it was good. On this episode, Robert Dominguez of the Bigfoot Club podcast joins me on the porch to talk a little bit about Sasquatch and paranormal investigation and a lot more. Something else was mentioned in this conversation, and I really would like for you, the listeners, to give me some feedback on it. If Porch Matters t-shirts were available, would you want one? Think about it and let me know on social media, please. Robert is a great guy, and I really enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully, it's the first of many. We just scratched the surface on stuff that we can talk about. Without further ado, let's get started. Robert Dominguez, Bigfoot Club. Welcome to the porch, my friend. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm I'm doing great. I'm I'm honored to be on this on this show. I've I've been listening to your show, so I, I really really appreciate you even asking me to, to to be on it. Honors all mine, my friend. I'm a fan of your show as well, and we'll get to that here in just a second. How have you been doing lately? You know, this has been one heck of a year. 
for me. Um, and you know, it's kind of odd because a lot of my listeners don't even know what's going on with me because I haven't, I haven't posted a show since early May and, uh, I, I've, I've got, you know, quite a bit of sickness, not COVID, but a lot of, you know, a lot of sickness. And, uh, cause I know you and I, we talked off show, yes. uh, prior to, uh, recording of this show, but, um, I, I had some, I had some cancer issues earlier, earlier in the year. And I, I had that taken care of and, and, uh, you know, in the process of doing that, I, I guess during surgery, I got, uh, a bacteria called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And anybody that knows Guillain-Barre, if your listeners don't know what it means, it, it's actually a bacteria that makes your, your immune system attack your nervous system. So you, you're pretty much all your, all your muscles turn into atrophy. And I've actually had to learn how to walk, how to, how to move my arms and legs all over again. Anything with a name that sounds, that almost sounds like green beret has got to be vicious. Yes. And this is Terry. This is something that I do not wish upon my worst enemies. Understand. I mean, this, this thing was so severe that, you know, cause that at the time that we didn't know what it was and it was crawling up my body and, uh, the hospital didn't know what was going on and it actually stopped my heart. Wow. Seven, actually for seven minutes. Wow. So, so they actually performed C, uh, CPR on me and they, they brought me back to life and put a ventilator on me. I was in a coma for two days and they couldn't figure out what, you know, you, you know, what was wrong with me. So it was pretty bad. And, you know, I I've recently, I, I know, uh, since we talked, uh, uh, I'm actually walking on a cane now. So, that's awesome. Prognosis is good. You know, I've been, I've been busting my butt, you know, doing physical therapy, occupational therapy. It seems like that's all I'm doing is just exercising and then uh, setting up doctor's appointments. <laughs> so just, I've, been, I've been doing that. Just from the conversations that me and you've had, and this is just my prediction, you can write it on the wall or you can just take it however you want to. But given your drive, I figure you'll be running inside of six months. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the whole goal. Cause like, I'm, you know, I, I love being inside. I love, you know, taking it easy, but man, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to get out and do stuff. So it's, uh, it's killing me a little bit, but yeah. Cabin fever and <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I guarantee you, you do. Well, let's tell the folks a little bit about yourself other than your sickness. And I am very happy that you're coming through this. And just like I said, you're on the uphill swing. And I think you're going to be right as rain here in the next six months. Roger that. Um, where were you born? Where do you live? You live in Texas, right? Correct. Yeah. I was actually born in Dallas. Um, grew up in a, in a area of Dallas called Oak Cliff, you know, um, really, really rough neighborhood. Um, I was uh, seven out of, yeah, I was a seventh born. Um, and so I was uh, the baby of the family and, uh, a lot of times, um, you know, growing up in a rough neighborhood, you know, you either got, you know, beat up in the streets or you got beat up by your brothers. So, right. <laughs> so that was, that's probably the, you know, the, the, it kind of toughened me a little bit, you know, being a, being a, the seventh born and getting picked on a lot, but you know, Hey, it, 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 you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So, uh, grew up, grew up in Oak Cliff, um, went, you know, like any person, you know, go to work. And one day I was just typing on. And like, I'm real guilty of this typing on the internet at work, Bigfoot. So I type in Bigfoot and, uh, pops up, you know, 
uh, you know, articles and stuff like that. So I don't know, every, at a really young age also, I've always been interested in Bigfoot. So, um, but it's just, you know, something that I've always been really, really passionate about is just Bigfoot. And, and eventually I got into paranormal. We can get onto that as well. But, but yeah, just growing up, I just really enjoyed, you know, like that subject of Bigfoot and the paranormal, but more so Bigfoot. I've always been interested in things bigger than me. So every, Bigfoot's always fascinated me too. So, so you're what? Well, so you're what? Like six, seven? Yeah. Wow. Sure am. Anything crypto. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that has always fascinated me. Things like that, that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Anything that makes me think I like. Right. So. You just told us how you was flipping through work and everything one day and you stumbled upon Bigfoot. What kept you interested in the subject of Bigfoot? Well, like I was saying, I, I typed in Bigfoot at work and then what popped up was um, the numerous, the new Newcomerstown, Ohio Bigfoot conference. Um, and it was, uh, I think that was like the 10th or the 11th annual one. And there was a guy on there. I uh, was wearing a cowboy hat. His name was Luke Gross. And he was there for some reason It had his name. He was from Texas, had his email. And so I emailed the guy. I said, contribute and Bigfoot here in Texas. Cause I didn't even think about Bigfoot's being in Texas or anything like that. I just thought it was like Canada, Pacific Northwest and stuff like that. So I emailed the guy. He, he emails me back like right away said he's going to be in like in Missouri doing some Bigfoot stuff. And he would, whenever he got back in a couple of weeks that he'd contact me. So the guy contacts me like two weeks later, we talk on the phone, like for four hours, we just talk about Bigfoot and long and behold, he's telling me that Bigfoot exists in East Texas. And I was like, I, you know, I was, my, my jaw dropped. I go, what? No way. And like, you know, sure enough, you know, he, he would tell me and he goes, Hey, whenever you want to go out, I'll take you out. We'll go look at stuff. So after that conversation, he decides to form, Texas Bigfoot Research Center uh, in in North Texas. And so I was actually, I was lucky to be a part of the 12 original members for Texas Bigfoot Research Center. Uh, There are no longer actually a group. They're actually, they've changed the name. They're now the North American Wood Ape Conservancy, I think. I'm probably getting that wrong, but that's the name of the group, NOAC or something. I don't know. But um, but I was actually, I was with the group and we end up, we end up, you know, getting the, the group up together and we, uh, we, you know, divvied like uh, re, uh, responsibilities within the group and we got a website go- up and going and we were, we were like really busy. We actually, we started getting website, you know, uh, siding reports like in East Texas and stuff like that. So I, I got to, I got to go out and interview tons of people and talk to lots of people and, um, and just like. Because at, at, at that time, we were really into like gathering information and just try to prove that this animal exists. And so that was like part of like the big part of my early years. So that was that's kind of what I was just passionate about, you know. Okay, You went out, you were going out and you were interviewing people. Uh-huh. Did, did any did any of them have any evidence to back up their cases in physical? Did they have hair? Did they have? footprints did they have i don't know audio recordings right any anything tangible that could back up their story also were did everybody's stories kind of sound similar you know um a lot of people who actually who did contact us uh you know and it's kind of 
you know, it's kind of sad to say a lot of people who did contact us were usually people like housewives, um, you know, uh, siblings and like within the family, right. Who, 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 I guess family members or spouses who didn't believe them. And so whenever they reached out to us, we were like their last resort because a lot of them actually would contact, you know, authorities, local authorities, and they would get ridiculed. And so whoever came to us was usually didn't have any evidence. So they would just have claims. And so we would, we would go out and try to uh, prove these claims. Uh, so a lot of times we did collect, you know, hair, we did collect footprints and uh, we would put up cameras um, and, you know, and we would get very little to, you know, to any evidence at all. We later learned, and we can talk about this later, but um, putting up cameras and a lot of people who, who don't know about Bigfoot uh, or even hunters, they, you hunters have this thing called game cams. I don't know if you're aware yes. of that game cams come out. Yes. And, and you and you put those out and that has like a like infrared beam that if it's struck, it takes a picture. Absolutely. And so so we were putting these out in the like early 2000s and um, we wouldn't get any like any kind of evidence at all. And so eventually uh, this buddy of mine, because like at, at the time in 2000, the early the early uh, like 2001, these game cams were really expensive. Mm-hmm. And so. I had to I had this buddy that had a, a game cam, like a like a regular camcorder, right? You know, it had like a VHS in there or something. And you know, if we didn't have game cams, we would like just take that in the woods and stick it like in a, a nook of a tree. And we went, we would go back later on and look at the video, and we would find that a lot of Bigfoots would, you know, sense a camera or just see a camera, and they would throw sticks and rocks in front of it to really? see if it, if, it, if it would like set off a flash. And so they would avoid these cameras completely. So anytime someone had a Bigfoot sighting that had, you know, they were concerned about their family or their, or their, um, you know, their children and stuff, we would tell people after a while, put up game cams. If you don't want to see a Bigfoot, put up game cams and the, like this Bigfoot would like av- avoid it and go a different direction. And so that was a theory that in the early 2000s that we would like talk about, but no one was actually wanted to talk about it. I don't know why, but uh, that's what I ended up using. I would just carry, I would just carry with me. I said, okay, you know, if you want to get rid of a Bigfoot, you would just put up game cams and they would uh, like avoid them and stuff. And to answer your second question about some of the stories uh, sound similar. Um, there was a, there's a portion of Texas that we, that I was going to a lot, which is, I'll just say it out. I, I don't, I'm not part of any group, so I don't really, I don't care about, you know, protecting like a area, but I would go out to uh, Paris, Texas, and that's uh, Lamar County. And it's right near the Red River. Right. And that's right. It's right near the Kiamichis. It's right near Pat Mays Lake. It's right near Camp Maxi. And Camp Maxi is like a, a tank, uh, like a, a army tank area. And so it's a big area. It's a big area. And so I would go out there. I went out there one time. And I would, I think uh, this is like before the internet, Terry, this is like before like DSL, you know, we would go out there with flyers and cards and stuff. And so I would, we would go out to like Paris, Texas. And this one guy had, he worked at the Campbell suit factory. He was a security guard and he contacted us that a Bigfoot was coming behind the Campbell suit factory and rummaging through dumpsters. And so by the time us group as a TBRC made it out there to go talk to him, he kind of clammed up and didn't want to talk to us and, you know, told us to get off property. So 
we already made it all the way out there to Paris. I said, let's not leave. Let's go around, just talk to people and just see if we can, you know, knock on some doors and, or at least get people interested in talking about the subject of Bigfoot. So we would go around, hang out, hand out flyers and stuff. And so uh, a lot of times in Paris, you know, I would get the same, the same sighting report. Like I, like I, I met up with this one guy and uh, I think I was at, I was at Walmart. I was getting water and this guy walks up to me. And this is a funny story. <laughs> he walks up to me and he's, you know, he was a white guy and he saw that I was, I'm, I'm clearly Spanish. Um, you know, Spanish guy. No. So he walks up to me. <laughs> so he walks up to me. He goes, he goes, Hey, you're Spanish, right? I go, yeah. He goes, do you live here? I go, no. And he walked off and I go rude, you know, and he walked off. And so a week later I made it back out to Paris to continue talking to people and see if I can gather information or like Intel. Saw the same guy at a gasoline station. So I walked up to him and go, Hey man, do you find any Mexicans? <laughs> Did he? So, I was excited. Did he ask you if you were Spanish? <laughs> he didn't. Like I, I walked up to him and I said, "Hey, do you find any Mexicans?" And he put his head down and he goes, "Man, I'm sorry. That was really rude with me last week, wasn't it?" I go, "Oh, just you know, oh well." And he goes, "He goes, well, you know, you guys work really hard, and I, I hired a group to cut down trees, and they quit on me, and you know, and I, I couldn't get them back out, so I hired a second group, and they quit on me." I go, why? Why did they quit? He says, I don't know. Uh, they were shouting something, Rojo Chango. And Rojo is red. Chango is monkey. And I said, can I talk? I go, can I talk to this guy? And he goes, yeah. So he gave me the number, called the guy. And he eventually told me that they were, they were cutting like trees down near, near Pat Mays Lake uh, to, I guess, do a clear cut for this guy so he can you know, build a, a property there or something. A red a red Bigfoot came out of the woods and was throwing rocks at them, like big rocks, big boulder rocks at them. And it scared both the groups out. So that story kind of caught me and I wasn't even looking for that story, Terry. And about two weeks later, I was at Pat May's uh, boat ramp entrance, just with a, a parabolic dish, you know, just listening. Uh, right. Parabolic dish is like a, is like a listening device that listens really carefully, like into the woods. Right for your listeners who, you know, who don't know. And I was just sitting there with a colleague and we were just sitting there just listening. This guy pulls up in a, I think a RV and he comes out and he's crying. And I go, I go, what the heck's going on here? So we had some coffee. So we went over there and we offered the guy coffee and see what's going on. And he was crying and went on about, you know, his dog was, was killed. I said, what happened? Did it get shot or something? He goes, man, you're not going to believe me. I go, I go, try me. And he says, right. uh, he goes, a red orangutan killed it. I go, what? And like, you know, he told me that he was going out with a walk for his dog. His dog, you know, he, he was walking his dog without a leash and it took off down the woods and a red Bigfoot picked it up toward it in pieces just in front of it. Half. Yeah, just, just picked it up, ripped it in half. Wow. And so within three weeks, I got two stories that were probably the same Bigfoot, a redheaded, you know, a red Bigfoot. So... You're so I, I, I do get some stories like that. Now, you mentioned the red Bigfoot. How many, in your experience and in your knowledge, how many different mm-hmm. color variations of Bigfoot are there? I've gotten, I've gotten sighting reports from uh, Bigfoots that are black, Bigfoot that are brown, Bigfoot that are um, long, stringy hair that are beige. 
Uh, I even got one story that uh, that the lady thought a Bigfoot was wearing a top coat. <laughs> I know that that one kind of that one kind of got me going as well. So I go, are you sure? I'm are, sorry, are you sh- that, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I was telling her, I said, "Are you sure it wasn't like matted hair or you know like mud right. on it?" Because no, it was a top coat. I go, "Okay, I'm gonna go with that." I've but heard. I, I've ha- go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, I've had different colors. I've had them with short hair. I've had them with long hair. I've had them uh, that look like apes. I've had them look like homeless people, like hairy homeless people, but tall. And so I've had different stories from different people. And and it's uh, it's to be honest, it's just it's very fascinating to me. I've always get I always got fascinated with Bigfoot's, not that the sighting, but their behavior. Like I've I've had some stories of them. Like, you know, how they act when they, when they, someone sees them. And I had one story, this one lady uh, saw a Bigfoot crossing the road. And when she realized what it was, she gasped, you know, she gasped and what it was. And this Bigfoot mimicked her. It did the same thing. They facial feature and it gasped too. And then just took off. And so stuff like that always interests me. So, you know, I get like probably like 20, 50 sighting reports of a Bigfoot crossing the road and it, they didn't, people don't see its face or whatever. I go, okay, that's cool. So I go check it out. But the ones that always intrigue me are the ones that, that have behavior because you can't, you can't duplicate that. You can't think that up, you know? And to me, that always like solidifies that that's our actual sighting report. And just the little research that I've done, I'm no expert or anything. I've, it's just a hobby. Yeah. But for whatever reason, Bigfoots tend to congregate more around bodies of water. Correct. Yes. You, I, yeah. I tell people that all the time, man. And people tell me, how do I look for a Bigfoot? You know, how, how do I look for a Bigfoot? And I, I always say, if, if there's big game there, then there's, there's, there's going to be Bigfoot. If there's like, if there's creeks, there's lakes, there's rivers, there's tributaries, swamps. there's anything, there's swamps, Bigfoots are going to be there. And I, a lot of, a lot of Bigfoot research, uh, researchers don't say this, Terry, but the like the big thing about Bigfoot stuff. If you really want to find a Bigfoot, you you look for a body, like bodies of water, just like just like you said. But you also look for gas rightaways and electrical rightaways. And these are these are uh, areas that the county cuts like clear cuts an area for electrical lines mm-hmm. and gas lines. And so Bigfoots use this as a sidewalk through the county. And so if you want to find a Bigfoot, chances are they're walking, and then like games walking through there too. So if games walking through you know for sure Bigfoots are walking through there. So I find footprints, hairs, tree breaks, all in this area constantly, all the time. You, you mentioned earlier about how you ask about if they've seen their faces or not. Right. The ones that you've talked to that have seen a face, how do they describe it? Um, one of the, on, on our podcast, there's a, there's a story. <clears throat> there's a story we talk about. His name, I call him John Doe because he doesn't want to be talked about. Right. Uh, and um, he has an amazing story uh, that happened in Longview, Texas. And um, he, he, tell, he told me that and he told me that this Bigfoot that came out and confronted him, uh, his eyes were sunken into its, its head. That's what he said. And his nose was wide. Its teeth were square and it didn't have a neck and it had a, it had a, a sagittal crest head, you know, and so. And these are, this is coming from a guy that doesn't know anything about Bigfoot, doesn't want to know anything about Bigfoot and doesn't care to talk about it very often. So if someone who, who, you know, was going through this like situation and explains that to me, that, that usually like sticks 
at home with me big time. I said, man, that's, this is actually a really good story. And this is, this is a really good, like when he was telling me about it, you could, you could hear like the fear in his voice. Right. And he, you know, he's a pretty big dude as, as, as well. He's like thinking like six, five, six, four, and he used, he used to be a wrestler. Right. And this thing, this thing scared the heck out of him. And he didn't like to talk about it. And I was lucky that, that I got him to talk to me like about four times about it. And I interviewed him once like on the podcast. So, uh, but I think he's doing better. He's dealing with it better. And I think I, I kind of helped him a little bit on uh, why he saw the Bigfoot and, you know, and why he came across it. And so, cause I think he was having like, like night terrors and he was just having a bad situation about it. One of my friends up in North Alabama, he, mm-hmm. he used to tell me this story about how him and a friend went up on top of a mountain and they were just playing in the woods like kids did or our age. Anyway, that's mm-hmm. a, that's another show for another day about how kids don't play outside anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they were up there in the woods and then all of a sudden he said, he just heard a loud growl. And he turned around and he said, he told me what he saw and he described it as a very large, hairy monster basically coming at him. And mm-hmm. he flat out said to this day, his buddy will not speak of it. Yeah. And they won't even go to that area again because it was, it was traumatizing to him. Wow. That's see stuff like that really, really gets to me because I, I was kind of wondering uh, why? Because I always think all the time, why would a Bigfoot confront somebody? Or why would a Bigfoot growl at somebody? They're either moving young or these or this, uh, these kids were probably in their way of uh, like a food source. Right. Um, that's usually the reason why. Because like Bigfoots, they, they avoid people like, like the plague, you know? And, and, if, if, and if they confront you, that's usually the reason why. Because like I said, food source or they're moving young. So it's not anything to do with being territorial they they are they are very territorial but if i i all the all the sighting um, interviews i've done if you're in the area and you don't leave then they will be territorial and they will try to get you to leave they'll either leave or they'll make you leave and so uh a lot of times they won't even like they won't you won't even know that they're there at all and like it it took me like five months like once i got those like i was talking about those stories in paris it took me five months to get anybody to talk to me. And it took, and it took five months probably for a Bigfoot to get close enough for me to even hear it, like walking through the woods or growling at me or whistling or hooting. Uh, it took, it took a while. So, I mean, these, not that, not that everybody would, would, you know, cause like a lot of people want to go out and see, you know, go see Bigfoot. And I said, well, you know, you know, you know, you got to be careful what you, what, you know, like you wish for, cause you might get it. But, a lot of people that go out looking for Bigfoot probably won't find it unless it wants you to see it and wants you out of the area. So um, I don't know. I wouldn't say these kids were lucky. These friend of yours was lucky, but they were, they were in an area they weren't supposed to be. So I know you operate mainly out of Texas, mm-hmm. um, but where else do you investigate and or interview people from? I've, I've interviewed uh, people as far as like the Pacific Northwest, but I've actually, I've done, I've, I've, um, I've actually, you know, been in, uh, I've actually moved to Oklahoma for a couple of years and I, I researched through a lot through Oklahoma. There's a lot of sightings in Oklahoma. I've been in Arkansas. I've been in Louisiana. I've been in North Carolina. 
I've been in the, the great state of Ohio. And I think that's all the states I've been in doing Bigfoot stuff. Little little off subject, but you moved from Texas to Oklahoma. Isn't that heresy in the state of Texas? <laughs> it is. It is. Like for Texas OU, uh, you, it is. You, like, you didn't so get outcast, did you? I, I did for a little bit. I, I did for a little bit, yeah. I, you know, growing up, Terry, I was, I was an SMU fan. I was like my, my father worked at Texas stadium and we're getting off subject a little bit, but we will get you back. Know, he, you know, he worked at Texas stadium and he worked a lot of hours. And so a lot of times I wanted to be with my dad. Right. And so he would just take me to Texas stadium and just sit me in the stands on Saturdays and, you know, give me popcorn and a, and a Pepsi and he would go work. And I would watch Eric Dickerson uh, and uh, what's his name? Um, Craig James. The and Pony favorite, Express. Yes. My favorite quarterback of all time is Lance McElhaney. And I love that, that guy. That was one of the best. That was one of the best offenses I've ever seen in my it, life. It was. And I was like, I was just a kid watching it. And people, um, people want to talk about all of these split formations and everything else. No, you want to see great offense. You put Mr. McElhaney, Eric Dickerson, and the rest. And uh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, um, Craig James. Yes. You put them in the backfield and just let them run the option on you all day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What an offense. And so I, I just, I, I, that's, that's who I, I really idolized growing up was SMU. So, so, you know, people gave me a hard time about Texas OU, but I didn't, I didn't I go, okay. It's a shame that program <laughs> got the death penalty and that will be the absolute only one that ever got it yeah. because that death penalty killed the Southwest conference. It did. It did. I was, I was pretty heartbroken after that. Um, funny, funny story is that like years later as a, as a, a adult, I was working at, I was working for a security company in downtown Dallas and it was for this condominium like high rise. And there was a guy that was working there. I won't say his name, but he was, he was working there and he used to be a SMU cheerleader. Right. And so he would come in all the time. He was like, he was like in his sixties already. And so he was coming in and I was talking to him all the time. And I would tell him that Lance McElhaney was my favorite quarterback. And so one night he came in late and uh, he drove in and I had valets that were moving cars and stuff. And long and behold, the guy gets out of the car, the, the resident there and Lance McElhaney comes out. Really? And he introduced me to him because this is Lance but Lance is this is Robert. And I was like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even talk. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even talk. And so he gave me a signed copy of the, the, that SMU season DVD and just signed it. And we talked for like 20 minutes and I was like, oh man, I was, I was, I was high. I was, I was on cloud nine. So that was pretty, he was, pretty good. He, he was an absolute magician with a football. He was, he was. And I was, I was always wondering why I go, why didn't he get drafted? But you know, as I got older, I realized, ah, oh, okay. But he was but too I small and the NFL wouldn't run in the option. <laughs> oh, yeah. you, you, I mean, so, that was it right there. If the NFL yeah. would have been running the option, why wouldn't you had him on the field? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I loved him, but um, I know we kind of got off a little bit, but that's all good. We'll get back but, to uh, going back to Sasquatch. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, that, that, that just hit me. Going from Texas to OU or to yeah, Oklahoma. That that was actually I moved to Texas to Oklahoma because I was um and I talk about this on my podcast. I, I I wanted to start a magazine called Bigfoot magazine. 
and I had a buddy of mine that lived up in Tulsa and he was equally uh, interested in Bigfoot and he does his own podcast called uh, Bigfoot uh, Crossroads. It was, does, does great. And uh, so I, yeah, he, he's got great stories on there. Um, And I moved up there to be with him and we wanted to collaborate and started a magazine, Bigfoot magazine. And, and it didn't, it didn't turn out where I wanted to. And, um, you know, at the time I was really young, was like in my early twenties and, I was, um, you know, you know, like anybody, I was, you know, just immature about stuff and it just never came, came about. So I actually, I dedicated a whole podcast to that. And like, I was owning up to, okay, i messed up. I did this wrong and it's my fault. And I, and it was, and like, you know, I, I had to, I take credit for, for being successful and I take credit for being a failure. So I was, I failed at that, which I kind of needed to do. And that what led me to Bigfoot Club podcast. So I think if I if I'd have got Bigfoot magazine up and going, I probably would have never done Bigfoot Club podcast. So, well, I, I see an opportunity there to be able to do both. If you want to, we could possibly talk about that off air. But yeah, if you were to if you were to try and redo the magazine in a modern day, mm-hmm. could could you do it? And do you think it would be successful? Because I think I it think. Would. I think it would too. I think it would be closer to an app than it would be a magazine. And so, um, but at the same time, I may do that with Bigfoot club podcast. <laughs> so I may, I may end up doing it with that. So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I got like for the podcast, I'm, I, you know, I'm pretty happy for not doing a podcast in a while. It's still doing well. It's still download. I still get, you know, I still get quite a bit of downloads. And it's, uh, it's not super popular, but it's not super dead either. So I'm, I'm, but, but I'm pretty happy where it's at for not, you know, producing material right now. So going back to a thought, to a question that I had based off of what you just said, you talked about the different places that you had went, Mm -hmm. what are the differences between the, the Sasquatch that is seen in Texas versus the ones that have been seen up in the Northwest. Cause those are the ones that usually get all the popularity. Yeah. What the ones, the size difference. Yes. A haired color difference, everything like that. Yeah. Talk about Immensely. the differences between them, please. The, the Bigfoots like in the Pacific Northwest uh, are told to be anywhere between eight to 14 feet tall. Jesus. And any, anywhere between 300 and 800 pounds. Uh, that's, that's the guess, the guesstimate, the uh, people guessing on its weight and its height. The and I ones thought here in, I was a fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the ones here in Texas are anywhere between six to seven feet tall and closer to 350 to 400 pounds. And the ones here in Texas are all the ones that I've talked to people on. They're, they're very aggressive, very aggressive and very territorial. Uh, the ones in the Pacific Northwest. If if you're talking like British Columbia or Vancouver or like Washington State, I, it's it's my theory that most of the Bigfoots there don't get to see a lot of people, and so they don't know how to react to people, and they'll they'll either leave and or just go. But the ones here in Texas, I think a lot of them are getting there's there's a lot of growth in a lot of communities, and it, it's pushing them out, and so a lot of them tend to get very aggressive and very territorial. So. That's what I'm getting. I haven't, you know, I haven't done a, a ton of research recently because I've kind of moved toward more, more, like mostly podcasting now. But if someone were to come out and ask me for help, I would help them. But 
the last time I was doing probably research was probably like 2017. And I was, I was, you know, getting citing reports and I was um, like responding to people, but uh, that was, those were the last, the last ones I was getting. I was, they were very aggressive. So. What do you think a Sasquatch is? You know, I knew you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, no, it, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's a question that you'll hear all the time yeah. in this, in this subject matter, because as much research and as much sightings as everybody sees, it does nothing but bring up more questions than it does give answers. It does. It does. And it's like, um, when I first got into Bigfoot in 99, 2000, and I was helping TBRC get off the ground, um, our, my mentor, uh, Luke Gross was, he was, you know, he was sold on flesh and blood. It's flesh and blood animal. You know, it was a, it was a primate. It was, um, a missing link or however you want to, you want to think of it as, as an ape. And so that's what he, you know, he just pounded that in our heads. And that's what I always thought. I eventually left TBRC cause I didn't, I didn't like where it was going. So I left, started doing stuff on my own, started researching on my own, started talking to people. Cause whenever you're with a group, Terry, it, it kind of like limits you on what you can do, where you can go, who you right. can talk to. And so right. once I broke away and started talking to people, I started talking to native Americans. I started talking to, um, you know, just, you know, older, older, elderly folks, you know, and a lot of them, especially like the Native Americans actually believe that this is a spiritual animal and that it could, it could, you know, it could disappear. It could, you know, some people say cloaking or, you know, open up a portal or a wormhole, however they want to do it. And, um, and they just disappear and they, they can't be seen. Uh, and then I was like, I was interviewing this one guy. And this thing always stuck to me, Terry. It always stuck to me so hard. But he said this thing was so massive. And, and it, just stepped, it just stepped into the woods. And so he said as soon as this thing stepped into the woods, he said it's like the woods swallowed it up. And this, he goes, this thing was so massive. And it, he goes, it looked like a, it looked like a bulldozer uh, with like two legs. That's what, that's what he said. It would look like a bulldozer with two legs. Jesus. And then once, and once it stepped into the woods, it was like hiding behind skinny trees and you couldn't see it. And so How that is always that possible. I know it always stuck with me whenever he said that. I said, you know, he, he didn't have a motive. There was nothing. He was just a, a, a scared guy that saw this Bigfoot. And uh, once he once he told me that, it, it stuck with me. I said, man, maybe there is something spiritual. Maybe there's there's something like mystical with Native Americans and like its land. And so I, I stay I stay open with it. So I know I'm not really answering your question, but for the longest time, I thought it was flesh and blood, and. And there's like, it, it just avoids like, avoids drones, avoids, I'm, you know, I'm sure satellites can get it, but there's no, there's no proof on that. But, um, but I'm pretty sure that this is something that we just, we just can't explain why we can't see it and why we can't capture it on at least video or, or cameras. So, and every time I swear, every time I run into somebody that has a camera view of it and I want to see it. They like deny me. I don't know why, but it always happens that way. As often and for however many years that we've been hearing about it mm -hmm. to go along with your flesh and blood thing, everything that lives must die. Mm -hmm. It's a fact of life. It's part yep. of the circle of life that we learn from the Lion King. Mm -hmm. Remains have to be around somewhere. Yeah, we would, we would somewhere along the way we would have stumbled upon a bone or we would stumbled upon a skull. 
you would think. Yeah. That's All actually, right. that's actually a great point. That's a great, great, great point. Um, I was at a Bigfoot conference and I met with the late John Bendernagel. He's already passed away. He was a wildlife biologist that's based out of British Columbia. And he's well known in the uh, Bigfoot world. And I, I love this, this gentleman. He was such a great man. I mean, I would walk up to him and I'd ask him a question or tell him something. And he would pull out a pad and pen and just write it down. He would never, I know he would never use it, but he would just write it down. And I love that about him. And so I walked up to him uh, and I asked him that question. I said, why haven't we found bones? And he goes, that Robert, that's, that's a good question. He says, now let me, because I've been a wildlife biologist he goes, for over 40 years. I've never found a bear bone in the woods. And I know he goes, I know grizzlies and bears die, but I've never, I've yet to find bones in the woods. That's interesting. And I go, okay. He goes, he goes, scavengers, he goes, scavengers, they scavenge everything and they just take it away. And I go, okay. And so when he put, when he told me that, that made a lot of sense to me. And that's, that's used to me. And that's how usually how I answer that question, you know, and um, I, it always, it troubled me for the longest time too, as well. I come, I haven't even found any bones, you know? And so, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting, interesting subject. I just love it so much. And man, one of the reasons why I asked that I was listening to another show. um, I'll I'll name drop it. It was uh, Chris Jericho's podcast and you know how he's Mm. always into different things. I love his show. A couple, two or three years ago, he had the guy from the Sasquatch Chronicles on. I don't know if you heard, if you heard that episode or not. Wes. Yeah. Wes. Yes. Yes. Wes. And, uh, shout out to you, Wes, if you're listening, fan of your show. Um, he told the story about how there was a couple of brothers that owned some property. I can't remember where, Mm -hmm. but there were multiple Bigfoots around the area and they would literally they were getting to the point where they were coming up and looking in the windows and everything like that, throwing mm-hmm. rocks at anybody that came by making noise. And it was keep, they were keeping them up all night and this went on for months. And then they finally mm-hmm. called someone that was religious and they told, and they came out or she came out and they walked the perimeter of the property mm-hmm. and prayed over it. I'm assuming put out either holy water or anointing oil, whichever. And then it got to the point where they wouldn't cross the property line. That's interesting. They would just literally throw stuff over the property. Wow. (laughs) And then Wes would tell part about how they would, the two brothers would see this woman walk by and all white. They would holler at her, say something to her. They should never acknowledge them at all. And it wasn't the fact it was raining one day, but her clothes wasn't muddy and the, her dress was dragging the ground. And it got to the point where one day they just couldn't stand it no more and literally just went, hey, you know, just yelled at her, hey, turn around, you know, this, uh-huh. that, and the other. And she turned around and they said she had the most sick, sadistic smile on her face that she had that they had ever seen. And they told the lady that came out and prayed over the property and everything. And she said that the reason why the Bigfoot and everything was going crazy like they were was because she was there. That is interesting. <laughs> I've never, I have never heard, heard that. Story. I, I haven't heard that story in like three years, but it's one that just sticks with me because it goes against pretty much everything that I've heard when it comes to Sasquatch. Right. 
Right. That's, um, that's interesting. Cause like, I know on our podcast, we talk about, cause I, cause you know, I know we hadn't really talked about it, but I do, I do paranormal stuff too. I do. Right. I was a, I was a case director for Pentex paranormal of North Texas, uh, for almost 10 years. And so I, I, I dealt with a lot of, you know, cases with, you know, people and uh, needing help and stuff like that. But, uh, we always talk about on our podcast, uh, the Bigfoot club podcast, um, Bigfoots, Bigfoots emit a ultrasound. I don't know. I don't know if you were aware of that. I'm not. They actually emit like a ultrasound to freeze game and, and to, and to strike fear into people. If people don't want to leave an area, they'll admit ultrasound. And I've heard stories about it. I've never experienced it, but I've heard stories about it. I heard people tell me that. And, and then I do, I do paranormal stuff. So whenever ghosts uh, or entities appear or manifest, they, they emit or they, they're around EMF, electromagnetic fields. And so I was, I was interviewing somebody and we were talking about it. And she says, that sounds like ultrasound. What you described, what you're, what you're, how you're feeling. Cause like whenever you get bombarded by EMF, there's, you get, um, you get headaches, you know, everybody acts different to it. You get headaches, you get nausea, uh, you hallucinate, you see stuff, uh, and you just get jittery. And so she was explaining to me, I was explaining to her on a sighting that someone had a Bigfoot sighting and it was everything that I was talking about, about this sighting had EMF as well. So that's interesting how that story um, with the lady, with the, the entity in that area was drawing the Bigfoots or the Bigfoots were going crazy. That is super interesting. I got to, I got to look that up. It was on Chris Jericho's show and it was like two or three years ago. Wow. And when Wes came on for the second time, I have tried to look for, to find that episode again and I hadn't been able to, but I'm wow. sure you know more about it than I do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I re-listened to that episode like five or six times, mainly for that one story. Wow. I got I got You know, I may, I may do a podcast on that one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Terry. <laughs> You're welcome. So hey, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Have you run into any stories where um, these people seeing something legit actually had tangible evidence and then for whatever reason weren't allowed to share it? Are you uh, following me? Yeah. Um, are you talking about evidence wise? Evidence-wise, as in possibly government stepping in and not letting them share anything? Yes. Um, there's an area in Sulphur Springs, Texas. Whenever I was first with the, the TBRC, we, would, uh, we wouldn't name areas. We wouldn't say like Sulphur Springs or you know Hopkins County or whatever. We wouldn't do that. Right. We, would, we would call area, area 1, area 2, area 3 to protect it. And there was, uh, there was an area... In Sulphur Springs, Texas, which was right next to Cooper Lake, uh, it was called Mahoney Slabs. And uh, it was like a bridge that had a, some old concrete and the bridge wasn't there anymore. And there's like slabs there. But anyway, um, there, was an, there was a back road that we used to take back there all the time. And once uh, we started doing the research in the area, I think Game Wartons started figuring out what we were doing because they would interview us. They would stop us and talk to us. And after a, about about four or five months, we would go down that same back road and all of a sudden they would just show up. And then we later found out there was a sensor on that road that would prevent us from going there. So we would go halfway down the road and they would 
that would come like five minutes later and tell us we had to leave. And we were, we were getting like calls. We were getting, uh, there was like, there was evidence of like bedding, like a, a Bigfoot bedding down in the area. Like it would look like, like a cow or, or, or a horse that would lay down like a big tall grass, but there's no cows and there's no horses there. Right. And it would, and it'd be like a big old, like a body laying down on this grass. And so we would catch that and we were getting close to, I think, to uh, getting some evidence. And then all of a sudden these game wardens and park rangers just show up because like, you know, game wardens and park rangers, they're not allowed to comment or discuss unclassified animals. They're just not allowed to do that. And so, you know, after a while, you know, they used to harass us all the time. And after a while, because I was at the time I was I, w- I was going to school and I, I had a student ID. And so I would I would lie. I would say that I'm there to do I'm writing a paper on deer migration and that I was getting soil samples. So I would do, I would do stuff like that. So they would leave us alone because like they they like I had a, I had another buddy that was uh, statute was of limit statute of limitations is up on this, right? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. Just yes. checking. Yeah, this was back in 2000, 2001. So, so uh, I had another buddy that was uh, that was a constable and you know, of that one county, and so he would call us. He goes, "Hey, are you guys in town?" And I go, "Yeah." I go, "Why?" He goes, "I go, how'd you know?" I said, "Man, he goes, there's a lot of radio chatter about you guys being here. They're they're talking about Bigfooters being here." And I said, "Oh crap!" And so so we had to move to another area to not get harassed because like that's what happens, you know, and you hear stories about, you know, Bigfoot's getting hit by trucks and trains and, and then, you know, men in black show up and then haul it away. So you hear the story all the time. Yes. And uh, there's a, there's, I think there's a couple of stories in Texas that have that same story of a Bigfoot getting hit on a road, will uh, a windshield and a, a lady going crazy about it. And then men in black show up and then, you know, pull the body away and all of a sudden the lady is you know moved moved out of county somewhere you know it happens and so so yeah the you know i do get those stories from time to time about that you mentioned how the bigfoot is a classified animal why do you think it still is there's like we were talking about the government there like in east texas i'll just say for example east texas because i don't know any other state i can't compare right. stuff like that but east in east texas there's there's a lot there's a lot, there's a lot of money in lumber there's a lot of l- money in lumber there's a lot of money in you know you know i'm not gonna i i'm not this is not i'm just going off opinion this is probably money like in, in, in you know state reps senators you know local councilmen local local uh local people and so if you were if you were to take if you take bigfoot you know and classify it then you could no longer lumber in that area. And that's a lot of money. And, and you're messing with, you know, a big wheel more bigger than like myself or anybody else. So you start messing with that, you know, man, you're, you're going to end up in the lake somewhere. See, so, I, I always figured it was over the fact that if people actually found out from the government that it was as a hold up quotation marks real. Yeah. Yeah. That, it would create either panic or or curiosity and it would mess things up that they had laid out and in plan. As I, as I've yeah. said, you know, as I used to wear a badge, as I'm sure you've heard in my, in my previous yes. podcast, I don't want to retell that story all the time, but there's right. one phrase that I've come to learn and appreciate 
ignorance is bliss. Whenever you yeah. wear it, whenever you wear a badge, you you see stuff, you hear stuff that you wish to God you really didn't know. I'm just going to leave it at that. But right, you know, people who if it's still listed as a quote myth or if it's mm-hmm. anything like that, people are not going to worry about it near as much. I mean, because like the, the like the game wardens and and like um, those guys, those guys are serious about it, man. They're serious about it because like there's there's supposed to be no black bear in Texas. There's black bear in Texas, but they mm-hmm. can't. They're not allowed to talk about it or comment on it. There's right. panthers. There's panthers in Texas. I've seen footprints, but they're not allowed to talk about it. They just can't. And so Bigfoot, come on, they're not going to even talk about that at all. No. So, um, but yeah, I, I kind of I tend to stay away from those guys and. And just get out of their way. He's like, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't like big government. <laughs> I'll just say that, Terry. <laughs> there's, that's just like, there's not supposed to be any alligators as far north, but yeah, <laughs> in my state, especially you're starting to find more sightings of alligators in lakes, small lakes, big lakes, and other bodies of water. That's scary. I know. That's super scary. I don't, I don't, I don't like, and I don't, and I don't know why they're there. Yeah. Exotic, exotic people or something. I don't know. That would be my assumption, but yeah, you know, other people say that they're put in there by officials to try and, Mm. you know, control the population as a a predator, trying to keep things right in check. I don't know, but to me, they shouldn't be this far North. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, my personal opinion, they're overrun in Florida and there ought to be an open season on them as far as hunting goes. But they're they're like they're me. like protected there, aren't they? They're they're protected, aren't they? I think so. I could be wrong. I haven't done any research on it, but from everything that I <clears> knew <throat> that they were protected. Yeah, you know, that's just like in the Everglades after Hurricane Andrew came through and wiped out all those zoos and everything, and all those pythons ended up in the Everglades. Yeah. They're not supposed to be there, <laughs> but they're there and they're there and they're, <laughs> and they're big enough to choke out gators. And if they're big enough to choke out gators, they're going to hurt somebody and they shouldn't be there. Man, My that, personal that, opinion. That's scary. That I, you know, I, you know, hogs scare me in the, in the woods, but if I were to see a Python, that would scare me even more. Yes. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a snake guy. Man, I'm not either. <laughs> I don't even like dead snakes. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of them. If I know I mean, it's if I know it's there, I can yeah. deal with it. It's those that come out and surprise you that get Mariah Carey octaves come out of my mouth and make me run. I don't yeah. like snakes. I remember once we were we were doing like a like an expedition in East Texas, and I, we were using a creek bed, a dried out creek bed, to walk through a county, and it was dried out, and I was walking on it. I was taking point on it, so I was I was leading I was leading the group. And I stepped on a rock that was really wobbly, a big rock. Mm-hmm. And the guy behind me just yelled, Dominguez. And I already knew what it was. Once he yelled, I just dropped my backpack, took off running. And it was, it was, a, it was a rattler. So I was, that scared the crap out of me. And like after that, after that, I bought, I bought uh, big high boots for like snakes and stuff. So, I, you yeah. know, that, I learned my lesson on that one. So. You had to check your shorts too, didn't you? I sure did. I sure did. So I was gone. <laughs> I was, I was the quickest, you know, 
I, I ran so fast with stuff in my shorts faster than I've ever done before. I'll just say that. So you. yeah, copperheads are real bad around here. And I don't know if you've ever had any dealings with copperheads. I haven't. I don't want to either. A, rat, a rattlesnake doesn't have near the attitude that a copperhead does. Them things are vicious. They're angry. They're angry all the time. It's like they feed off of hate and fear. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't like them. But I don't know how we got on snakes, but it's, it's okay. Did, but it's, all right. <laughs> you, it's all right. You mentioned, you mentioned earlier about how you're starting to dive into the paranormal. What led you into the paranormal? Um, you know, I've always been interested in it and, uh, it's just something that I'd never, cause I, you know, you haven't really asked me, but I, I, I grew up, you know, Christian and I, you know, I, I was baptized and, uh, I just have a strong faith belief in, you know, you know, God and all that stuff. So, as do um, I. and so I was always interested cause you'd always hear stories like at church about, you know, someone being possessed and, or someone, you know, doing un, ungodly things and stuff like that. So I've always been interested in it. And like, why, why I was doing Bigfoot stuff where I was doing Bigfoot stuff and I was, I was posting a lot of stuff on the internet and stuff like that. Uh, I got, I got reached out by uh, another mentor of mine, uh, Kendall, Kendall Wilkerson. And she runs, she runs Pentax paranormal investigations of North Texas. And she was looking to form a group and she look, she's looking for seasoned researchers and she didn't have a lot of research. There were people that researched before. And she said, Hey, you've, you've researched a lot in Bigfoot and I've, I've read everything that you were doing. I'm really impressed. I would like, I would like to recruit you. Are you interested in paranormal stuff? And I go, heck yeah, I am. And so, uh, she asked me to be the case director. So I was the case director for almost 10 years. And, uh, I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of stuff, but I've, ex- you know, I've experienced stuff that you can't, you can't document, you know, I I've experienced stuff like, you know, being in there, being in a house that just smells like, that smells like sheer rock and wet and all this stuff. Right. And all of a sudden you smell like a cigar or a perfume. There's nobody in the house. And so I've experienced stuff like that, that I've, that I just can't document or you can't take a picture of or, or record or whatever. And I I've, I've seen a lot of stuff and uh, that's what kind of got me into it. And, you know, with, along with the Bigfoot stuff, Terry, is that when I first got into like Bigfoot and paranormal stuff, I was into documentation and proving it exists. But after, after a while, I kind of, I kind of started leaning toward, you know, just helping people because there's tons of people that don't know where, like I was telling you before, they can't go to their spouse or they can't go to, you know, family members that don't believe them. And it's either paranormal or Bigfoot stuff. And they just need someone to talk to or just listen to them. And, and I found that way with like the paranormal. So the paranormal right now, I'm currently not researching anything right now because I'm, uh, still, uh, recovering from Guillaume Beret, but I, people still reach out to me and I still, I find groups for them or these individuals that can help them. And so that's where I kind of lean toward the paranormal and Bigfoot. That's just, I just, I love helping people. I just, I love to be that, that conduit or that, that venue for them to help them. So I know you didn't ask me all that, but nice. <laughs> <laughs> talking about, Bigfoot as well as the paranormal. Mm-hmm. What are the similarities between the two other than you being able to help people? Uh the similarities uh is, you know, I guess the the thrill of the unknown. That's always that's always been a passion passion thing of mine. It's 
Like I, ha- I have buddies now that just tell me, why do you do both? I can, he goes, I can barely handle one and you're doing both. I said, you know, I just, I just, I'm curious about the unknown. I'm curious about, you know, just learning more. And once, once you're able to learn more then you can pass it on to someone else. Absolutely. And, and so that's, that's the big drive with me. You know, I don't take money. I don't take fees. I don't do any of that stuff. You know, I just, I do it for the, for like the pure passion and the pure, just to help people. And uh, anybody that, that says, Hey, I can get rid of a Bigfoot or Hey, I can get rid of a, a demon or, you know, a ghost entity, but you know, you have to go to my, you know, my PayPal run as far as where you can, because th- those people are not in it for you and you, sh- you shouldn't even talk to them. But that's just my, that's my input on that. So what other than the story that you told me earlier about the red orangutan, mm-hmm. what is the best story that you've heard as far as the Sasquatch is concerned? Like funny story or you, are you talking about funny story? Or just amazing story. Amazing I have a, story. I, okay. The I'll listen. Of, you, you tell whatever you want to. Okay. I'll, t- I'll, just I'll for, tell you both. Just I'll tell you both. Okay, good. That's what I was fixing to ask. <laughs> okay. We're on the, the funny, same page here. The the funny story was I was um and this whenever I was with the with the TBRC, we would get sighting reports out of state. We would get stuff like from Kentucky, uh your state, uh Missouri, Mississippi, and stuff like that. And I got one from Kentucky of a lady, and we end up we end up doing a conference call. And then like uh she emailed us and then within I get I I within the the subject line it said bigfoot wants to have sex with me <laughs> yeah that's the, that's what kind of got me too as well so we end up we end up calling this lady and it was like me and it was like <laughs> luke, luke gross uh and somebody else i can't remember who it was but we called this lady and we were asking her we we're all asking her questions and then she said that yeah you know bigfoot he wants to have sex with me it comes down the mountain and he wants to have sex with me and i go how do you know he wants to have sex with you? And she said, well, when it comes down to mountain, it's after dark and I could see its penis glowing. And I go, okay. And I, after I got off the phone call with her, I, I talked to Luke Gross. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. I'm I know. Sorry. I know. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I, I talked, I talked to Luke Gross, my mentor. And I said, is that possible? How is that possible? He says, well, Bob, you know, there are some uh, phosphorescent mushrooms. You know, Bigfoot could get his hands on it and then, you know, go down there. And I go, okay. Okay. <laughs> so that was, right. that was, that was pretty funny. And I was like, I think I tell that story on any podcast I actually come on, but, but that one, <laughs> that one always gets to me like really, really, really bad. So uh, the most amazing story I probably ever, ever did was, um, I can say the name of this lady because she's actually on the TBRC website. So I can actually say her name. Her name is Deborah Thornton and she's probably like in her seventies now, but in the sixties, her and her boyfriend were in, I believe it was Paris, Texas. And they were driving in an area that's no longer there. It's, uh, there's a lake there now, Pat Mays Lake, but she was driving and her boyfriend got a, a, a flat tire. So he decided to go into town and get a spare and come back. She didn't want to go. She stayed behind and she was asleep in the, in her, in her boyfriend's truck. She was awakened by a Bigfoot pulling her out of the window, the driver's side window. And all she could see 
was its nipples and its penis. And that's all she said she, she saw. And I, we asked her, okay, what color is it? And she told us the color, you know, he had pink nipples and they were parsley brown and uh, his, his penis was brown and, and he was, it was erected. And she was going into detail so much about it. And she said that um, she was kicking at it. And then she had like a, a, a glass Coke bottle, empty Coke, Coke bottle. And she was hitting it. It was hitting its forearms with it. And long and behold, uh, another Bigfoot stepped out of the woods. And she said it was a female. I go, how did you know it was a female? She goes, because it had breasts and it was pregnant. And this Bigfoot was yelling at, at the male. And so the Bigfoot let her go and then walked into the woods. And so she later, I think when the, when the boyfriend got back, she was like hysterical. And I think they admitted her to uh, the local hospital there. We actually did a, a open records deal and we pulled the records for that. And she was admitted to the hospital and she did have abrasions on her ankles. Uh, it didn't say why but it just said it had abrasions. And then we, we try to reach out to the, that local, uh, the local authorities there and try to get the same records and they denied us. Um, but that was probably the most amazing story I've ever heard uh, when it comes to Bigfoot. Um, Cause number one, it was physical. Number two, there was, there was uh, extra body parts that you normally don't get in like sighting reports. And then you had, you had a, some kind of social uh, communication between two Bigfoots to, to move on. And so to me, that was, that's probably the most amazing story. And so we interviewed her for like four hours and we, I think we gave her like 300 questions and six of them were like redundant. And she never, she never like fade on her story. Her story was the same. And um, so I thought that was probably the best story I've ever investigated. That's interesting. So you don't, you don't get a lot of stories about nipples and penises and stuff. No, no. <laughs> So this this is a first for me. (laughs) So (laughs) what is, what's the most interesting. Yeah. We'll we'll say the same thing about paranormal. Mm -hmm. What's the funniest story you've heard and what's the most, and what's the most amazing story, either the stories you've heard or what you've experienced personally. Um, the most The funniest, let me see here. The funniest story I got was a gentleman. I think he was in Hugo, Oklahoma. And he was calling, he was contacting me because he felt that the whole town was haunted and they were out to get him. And he said that there were witches in the town and they were shapeshifters and they could shape into a sheriff and try to arrest him. And I really wanted to help this guy a lot. He was like, he was, he was, he was telling me that he was inheriting a lot of oil money and that everybody was out to get him. And I told him that I feel bad for the guy. I told him, I said, Hey man, you, you either need to get some psychiatric help and, and cross, you know, and cross that line out. And then I can go help you, whatever, if it's, you have paranormal stuff. And so he was telling me amazing stories about, about witches throwing acorns on his, on his porch. And then if he didn't notice the acorn, then he was going to have some kind of spell on him. So he was telling me stuff like that. That was, that was pretty interesting. And I go, oh, okay, that was really, you know, I, and I felt bad because I wasn't able to help the guy and I really wanted to help him. What kind of witches were they? Did he ever, I, you know, you? I, I asked him that question and he would never answer it. He would always like go off talking about something else. And I go, 
And I would tell him, I said, Hey, you need to focus and answer this question. So I, to me, he sounded like he was borderline. And I'm not, when I say this, I'm not making fun of anybody. That's, that's not my goal here. No, but he nor was, mine, he was, nor mine. So, so he sounded like he was borderline schizophrenic. That's what it sounded like to me. And he was probably seeing things, you know, they probably were there, but he was probably like magnifying it, you know? And so I really wanted to help the guy, but I, I wasn't able to do it. Um, uh, probably the most amazing story I got was um, there was a gentleman, I believe he was in Killeen. He was in the military and he reached out to me and he, I guess he had, he had was stationed overseas in Afghanistan, came back. Um, and he called me from a payphone, and he was like frantic. And he told me that, um, that he got home, he got home within, I guess, a couple of days from, uh, from being overseas and that there was something in, in, in his, in his barracks or, uh, his quarters or something. And he had a dog and the dog was responding to somebody in his back, in his back room. So the dog went back there and was barking at something. He pulled his, his pistol and went to go investigate. And he said it, it was a shadow. It was a black shadow. And he's, he was telling me it goes freeze. He thought it was a guy dressed all in black. This thing turned around, didn't have a face. And it said to him, we are many and disappeared. So the people, you know, your listeners that, that listen to the, you know, the, the, the read the, yeah, <laughs> I could see your hair standing up. Uh, the listen to, you know, the read the Bible. That's, you know, that's, that's demon, you know, what he's referring to folks. We're on a zoom call. As soon as he said that the hair on my arm started standing up and I got goosebumps and I held it up to make sure that he could see it. (laughs) Reason why I say that my, I, whenever you were talking a little bit earlier about being spiritual and being around and hearing about demon possession, everything like that. I've been around it a good bit of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I was born and raised in a Pentecostal church where we, we break out the olive oil and we pray until something happens. Right. Well, there was one instance whenever I was like eight years old and the way any of that always went down was whenever I was nine, actually, excuse me, whenever anybody came in and it was felt upon that, that they were possessed for whatever reason, they always got all the children and everything out because they figured if they get the demon out, it'll go into the children or something like that. Right. Not saying that, not saying that good, bad or indifferent, just telling me the way it was. Right. My dad was a part of the group of men that were helping to to pray and um exercise the demon he would tell this gentleman i can't remember his name and if i did remember it i wouldn't share it anyway um he was up from chicago i think and he might have been 511 6 foot might have weighed 130 pounds soaking wet My dad was a very large man. He was somewhere in the neighborhood of six, three, six, four. At his heaviest, he was over 400 pounds. 
he used to tell me stories about how he used to be able to take four blocks or four bolts and everything out of a motor, reach down and just pull it out of a car. Man. man. And whenever my dad would tell me that, he would have other people around him when he told me this and they would back up his story. Mm hmm. How he, whenever he worked at Fruhoff building trailers, he'd reach and grab one rear end that get went under a trailer, reach and grab the other one with the other hand, pick it up and walk off with two rear ends. My dad was an extremely stout man. Uh -huh. Um, he didn't look it, but it, as we say over here, it was just that cornbread strength, that raw yes. bone. Country you know. strong. Yes. Um, going back to the story, my dad was kind of down around his ankles and everything, trying to hold them in place in case it just went crazy. Um, there was another gentleman by, I'm not going to mention his name. He was somewhere in the neighborhood of 230 to 250 on one arm. Another one was about the same size as on the other. <clears throat> During the whole process, dad would tell me the story about how they would try to get the spirit or whatever to communicate mm -hmm. we are many was mentioned <laughs> and this was also around the same time frame where that very very small man was starting to lift one of those 250 pound men off of the floor with one arm wow um yeah you were, were you, you you know you were there to witness this my dad was okay i was in the house but I wasn't in the room to see it firsthand. That's, yeah. That's you remember, do you remember the climactic scene from uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose where they were talk, where the spirit started talking about how they were in the garden and this, that, and the other, mm -hmm. you know, that whole speech. Yeah. Yeah. My dad almost heard that verbatim one time. <sighs> Man, it's almost like they have like cue cards, you know? Yes. To talk, talk to us about stuff like that. But it was to the point yeah. where my dad had told me that enough times that whenever yeah. that movie came out and I heard it, goosebumps. You know, and it, chills. Like, like you like you were saying, whenever I was telling that story, because I was looking right at you on Zoom. And when I was telling you the story, you just you just, you know, did just like you just kind of like shook your head and and kind of, you know, cringe your, your, your lips together and stuff. <laughs> so try it, man. But, um, my dad, my dad used to drive a truck and everything as well. And yeah. I mean, he was a very spiritual guy, constantly praying and everything like that. Anybody who's listening that knows my dad can, they know what I'm talking about. Right. He sounds sound <clears> like a good man. Very good. Uh, good. My foot is a whole lot bigger than his now, but I, uh -huh. I can't feel his shoes. Yeah. And he would constantly tell me stories about how little black shadows would fly in the truck with him uh -huh. and have a conversation with him while he was riding down the road and they would get in it. They would start at one point, but whenever they got to the end of a town, they'd float mm -hmm. out. They're trying to seduce him or trying to coax him to do something he didn't want to do. You think? Trying to talk you, trying to talk him out of praying about a certain thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, that's not going to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, any, this, this kind of stuff, anytime, hey, anytime something good, you know, good's about to happen. That's usually what happens, you know? Yep. 
Man, so, I'm, I've, I've legit still got goosebumps on my arm from that. I'm just telling you. Because, like, I can I can just tell you, Terry, from my, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, my my condition a little bit. But um, when when I first got Guillain-Barre, uh, I was uh, I was not in I was not in a good place. You know, I was not in a good place spiritually. And I was I was breaking down and I was crying and I was like, I was telling my uh, best friend, I go, this is too hard. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too hard. And, you know, he was telling me because he's 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 trying to break you. He's trying to tell you that that you can't do it, but something's good about to happen. That's why he's doing it. That's why he's doing it to you. And so I'm a firm believer that whenever something bad happens to me, like I get a setback, you know, that means something's good's about to happen. And I just have to pray and just think about it. You know what? This is, I'm going to pray even harder now. She'd have done that. Guess what? I'm praying even harder now. So I can just tell you right now that they've, they've told me that Guillain-Barre minimal is like a year, two years recovery. I'm on my fifth month and I'm walking on a cane. And so about a month ago, I was still in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and I wasn't, I wasn't even strong enough to go to the restroom, Terry. But I can just tell you that now that I'm, I'm able to stand. I, now I can't go a long way, but I'm able to walk, you know, from here to the kitchen, from here to the bathroom, from here to the front door, you know, to the doctor's office, but I'm getting there. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build up stamina. So prayer does work. People don't believe it. It does work. From me, to, from me to you, sometimes, as in the instance of Job, the Lord allows things to happen to us that brings us down. But if he, if it, if he allows you to get, go down, he's yeah. going to bring you up. The only thing you've got to do is trust in him. Yes, sir. And you've got, I mean, one, and you've got one heck of a story to tell, sir. Yeah, I got I got some testimonials to to tell and and to share and stuff. So I think I think when this all happened, like you know, I'll say this. Um, you know, my my family was kind of distant, and when this happened to me, it's brought us closer. It's brought us closer, and we're we're in touch with each other. We tell each other that we love each other, and that that you know, hey, I was thinking about you today. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's your day? So I I'm blessed to still be here. I am blessed to, to have that opportunity to tell my family that. So I'm, I want to say that to, to your listeners, to my listeners that, you know, prayer does work. It does work. Absolutely. So it might not come in your, in your time frame, Right. But it'll come. Yes. As long as you want it. You know, man, that felt good. <laughs> Cause you know, I, I hadn't, I hadn't even talked about this on my podcast yet. So. So that's, you're getting it, you're getting first. So <laughs> I appreciate that. No really problem, do. man. No, no problem. You know, but, it's, um, it's just, it's amazing how things like this will bring families closer together. Yes. And as bad as I hate to say this, sometimes we need to be brought down. Yeah. We need, we need something that humbles us a little bit because sometimes we get a little bit too big for our britches. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's your story at all. Right. I'm saying that is in a general because we, even as families as well, we all, life happens. We all got this thing to do, that thing to do. But anytime something happens like this, that'll bring you down. Number one, you find out who your real friends are. Number yes. two, you find out who, who really does have your back. And it is not the truth. I, uh, 
Yeah, I had a couple people that were part of my podcast that were no call, no no shows. And this is nothing. I'm not, you know, belittling them or saying bad things about them. Whatever, whatever they're going through, that's it's on them. But but when I was down and out, I, I, you know, this person didn't show up, and she was like, you know, no call, no show, and I was pretty hurt by it. But I I forgave her. I forgave her and, you know, I, I moved on. And so, but yeah, you, you, it's true. You know, you, you find out who your friends are and who you, you know, who's your family and who loves you and, and who's, you know, who wants to, who wants to be there for you spiritually. So. And that kind of, that kind of hits close to home. It does. But it's the truth. And yeah. sometimes we need to be reminded that the next breath that we take, unfortunately, could be our last one. Yeah. I mean, and uh, we can, and we can go all kinds of philosophical with that if you want to, but yeah. that's the truth. We don't know when our number is going to be called. Yeah. And we need to make the most out of this life that we possibly can. We need to be, we need to be that family member that, that has the other ones back. We need to be able to check on our people. And by our people, I'm talking about our family and our close friends, what I call our circle. Right. I've you heard know, you talk about that. I've heard you talk about that on other podcasts. And you I know, really I, and I, I, really, I, li- I like that. I, I think, and that's, that's my true belief. If we take care of our circle and everybody takes care of their circle, look how much better this world would be. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in that. I really am. Look out for your circle. And it, it, I don't know how else to put it. I really yeah. don't. Yeah, you're you're totally right on that. As I, I'm a firm believer of that as that as well. So, um, man, to go back to your paranormal, I I don't know if ghosts are real. I'm not somebody who don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I've never seen one. But as far as demonic possession. I'm a firm believer in it. Yeah. I, yeah, I have, I have actually seen it firsthand. The stories that I told you mm-hmm. were firsthand stuff. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen evil dance around in people's eyes. I know it's real. If that's yeah. real, common sense tells you the yin and the yang. If that's real, heaven's real. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I I'm, I'm a firm believer in that too. You know, and like the bad thing about it, Terry, and like, I don't, whenever I try to help people, I don't try to convert them or I don't try to tell them what to do with their lives or anything like that. But I, I, I give them an avenue because a lot, a lot of people that, that reach out to us are, are either non-believers or, or people who, you know, who don't listen to the word anymore. Right. And, and they just need help. And right. so, and so I try to provide that for them. And, you know, I don't, I don't care if they're like Democrat or like Republican or whatever, you know, I just want to help them. And um, none, of, none of that stuff should matter. No, it does not. It shouldn't so, matter. It shouldn't matter at all. So I try, I try to just help people. And um, like I was saying earlier, you know, Bigfoot paranormal, I just, that's my goal is to help people and give them a voice, give them a, a venue, a conduit, something. So, but to get back to that story, cause I know we went off a little bit, but that's okay. That's all right. All good in the hood. Yes, sir. That gentleman told me that, you know, that this thing turned around and said to him, 
you know, we are many and, uh, and it, and it just disappeared. And so he left, he left the, that either house or the bear. I can't remember what it was. I'm pretty sure it was a, it was a housing. Cause if it was a barracks. There would be multiple people there to probably see it as well. But uh, he left that housing unit and he called me from a, from a payphone, and I said, "Okay, I could be out there in two days. I can drive to Colleen in like two days. I'll be there." And then he called me back, and then he said that, "No, I can't have you come out because I just I can't have you come on the base because I'd be made fun of." And and I go, I go, oh, let me help you, man. Yeah, I go, I go, let me help you, dude. And he hung up on me. And so I called from another phone and he answered. I go, dude, I got to Let me help you. Let me at least try to help you. And he, he refused. So to this day, I don't know if whether he got help or not. And I, it kind of, it ate at me for like a couple months and then I had to let it go. But, um, that's probably the strangest story I ever got when it comes to the paranormal. So, you know, and you know, people ask me all the time and go, what's scary? Bigfoot paranormal paranormal is going to be the scariest all the time. Cause if you don't like Bigfoot, you can leave. You can go home. Yes. Paranormal can like attach to you and it can stay with you. Yes, it can. If, if you let it in. So to me, that question is always going to be paranormal. So. Yeah. And the, the, the demonic stuff can fill in an empty vessel. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I, I get invited to go to a lot of investigations right now. And I tell people all the time, I said, look, I'm not strong enough right now to do anything. I don't, I go, I would, I would hurt your investigation of anything. And I don't want to do that. So I, I don't think that physically I'm strong enough to handle, you know, something spiritual, like a spiritual war or whatever's there. Or I, I just, I just try to give them help, but I, I do get invited a lot to go to them, but I have to turn it down. Like, you know, most of the time. You'll get there very yeah. soon. Yeah. Robert, I appreciate you coming onto the porch. It's been an, been an absolute pleasure. If Thank you would, you. if you would, please plug your social, any website that you may have, and share with the folks what you've got coming up. Well, right now, um, I, I know I'm probably going to probably try to do something by the end of the year, um, some some episodes or something. So I do, I do. I was talking to uh, most of the the cast that are, that are currently on the podcast right now about what we're going to be doing. So I'm, I'm going to be like plugging some stuff whenever we do start doing stuff. Um, whenever we do a, a podcast, I'm sorry, but uh, right now everybody can find us on any social media. It's Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you just type in Bigfoot club, the number one. And so uh, if you just typed it in, you'll find our Instagram and then you'll be able to find our tree link. And then we're on all the platforms. We're on, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Pandora, Alexa, we're on everything. So, and if you have any, you know, strange stories, if you need help, if you just not need to talk to somebody, you can always reach out to me um, on email and that's at Bigfoot club, the number one at gmail.com. Very good. Robert, once again, thank you. I want you to come back on the porch as often as you want to come back. Yes, sir. Because I, there's, I, I, because there's one thing that we didn't touch on. Yeah. What else cryptic do you research or are fascinated by other than Sasquatch? Yeah, that's don't, true. We don't yeah, answer I, it. I, 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 won't, I won't sa- answer it. <laughs> we're going to save that for another episode. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate coming on, man. I really, I really love the show. I love your format. Uh, 
the past the jar episode. I was laughing on that one so hard. That was making me laugh so hard. And uh, the uh, Dustin Sap episode that that tore at my heart pretty good. That was that was a touchy one, and you know I I really love that episode. I appreciate it. And I'm also a fan of your of your show as well. Terry Cagle is a fan of Bigfoot Club, and he is a <laughs> subscriber. I got to get you a shirt, man. What what uh, what a size you wear? You wear a, you, you got a five X. I can I can get one made for you, brother. <laughs> you get me a five X. I'll get you a. Uh, what size do you wear? I wear I you know I used to wear a two X. Now I'm in I'm in like a just a large now. I'll get you a large Porch Matters shirt. I'm actually thinking about getting some made anyway. Okay, so Sounds that right, good, that right there gets me off the couch and gets me motivated. <laughs> get some port, get some Porch Matters swag going. Well, thank you for having me on, man. I really, really enjoyed it. Same here. Thank you. Big thanks to Robert Dominguez of the Bigfoot Club for coming onto the porch. Find Bigfoot Club on your favorite podcast platform and on social media. Leave a comment saying you heard him on Porch Matters. If you are new to the show and like what you hear, hit that like, subscribe, or follow button and download the episodes in our archives. If this show has been a positive addition to your life, please rate the show and leave a review. Won't take you but a minute, and it really would help the show. Find us on social media by typing Porch Matters Podcast into the search bar. Word of mouth is still the best way of sharing. Pick your favorite episode and share it with at least one person this week. There are a lot of people out there that have never heard of a podcast before. I sure would appreciate it. And I'll see you next time, right here on Porch Matters.